If uh, the, the aliens like manufactured you to be uh, a nah. mixed martial arts fighter, they're like, let's see if we can just turn. This I'm sure. Into I would, a bad it, I'm sure if it would have happened, I would have been much better than than, than this. Much know? better than this. You're the fucking champion. What are yeah, you talking but about? if I would be alien manufacturer, I would be a <laughs> Superman. You know. What's up, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, aliens, Martians, any conscious beings tuning into the podcast? I welcome you to episode 40 of Martian Mixed Martial Arts. This week, we will be recapping the UFC 25th anniversary show that went down this past weekend in Denver, Colorado, and previewing UFC Fight Night 140, Magni versus Ponzinibbio, going down this Saturday night in Buenos Aires, Argentina. The UFC making its Argentinian debut for this event. Uh, to start things off, we are going to be recapping the Denver card that went down this past weekend. It celebrated the UFC's 25th anniversary. Uh, 25 years ago, UFC 1 happened in the same exact town of Denver, Colorado. So the UFC, uh, to add a little sentiment and nostalgic to it, decided to bring the UFC back to Denver, Colorado for this monumental event. And you know, even though it was a fight night card and it didn't have much star power behind it, I think that it still delivered uh, a lot. It was a great card and it was you know capped off with probably one of the most insane moments in UFC history. But you will have to wait to hear uh, about the first 12 fights before we, you hear about the main event. So to start things off on the fight pass prelims, we had Mark De La Rosa defeat Joby Sanchez by split decision. Very close fight. I thought that uh, Mark De La Rosa, you know, was uh, being the more active grappler in this one. And Sanchez was, you know, I think might have been landing the harder punches in this one. It was a really close fight, man. I could I, Honestly, I could see how you could give it to either guy. And uh, I think I had De La Rosa in a parlay, so I was, you know, uh, cheering for him to get the nod. But uh, I was a little worried, honestly. The scorecards were pretty wacky on this one. I think one judge gave all three rounds to De La Rosa, which is, should not have happened. It happened in the next fight, too, which was Eric Shelton defeating Joseph Morales by split decision. Uh, another wacky scorecard on this one. Um, we had... Uh, a 30-27 scorecard and a 20-37 scorecard. So, you know, two judges just totally seeing the fight differently, which just should never, ever happen. Um, you know, despite your difference in perspective on calling fights, you should never have three rounds scored for one fighter and the other judge have three rounds scored for the other fighter. Uh, both of those people weren't doing their jobs correctly. Um, so, Eric Shelton, though, looking pre pretty good in that fight. Um, you know, it was, I think he, I think that one sh shouldn't have been split. I think that was pretty decisive, uh, uh, unanimous decision for Shelton. Um, next fight, we had Devontae Smith spark Julian Arosa with a knockout 46 seconds into the fight. Uh, I saw this fight going this way. I knew Smith has really, really uh, powerful straight punches. And, uh, you know, that's exactly what happened in this fight. I knew that Arosa had a tough ch or a weak chin. He has been knocked out a, a lot before. He's been rocked a lot before. And I knew that, that this fight was, you know, going to be a quick one for Devontae Smith. 
and he, you know, just a beautiful, beautiful one-two uh, that just was a clean knockout. And uh, great performance from Demonte Smith. And looking forward to him moving up the ranks at lightweight. Uh, another lightweight bout, we had Davi Hamos uh, defeat John Gunther by rear naked choke. Again, a very predictable outcome to this fight. World champion black belt uh, Davi Hamos was taking on a, a very low-skilled fighter in John Gunther. He took him down immediately and cinched up a choke in about... 90 seconds after the takedown so uh not really too much to prove from either guy in this match you know we knew this one was going to happen hamos was a minus 1000 favorite just really questionable matchmaking on why this fight even happened it was a kind of a kind of a waste Moving on to featherweight, we had Bobby Moffat defeat Chas Skelly in a, a bit of a controversial fight. Um, the finish was controversial. I believe um, Chas Skelly uh, might have might have won the first round, but uh, Chas Skelly tends to fade later in fights. So I was looking to live bet Bobby Moffat if I had a good price on him, but he was only plus 140 after the second round, or after the first round, excuse me. So I passed on him, and unfortunately Bobby Moffat did end up getting the finish uh, later, so I kind of, you know, I had a suspicions that Skelly would fade and we could see Moffat take over, but unfortunately didn't hit that live line. So uh, we, but you know, the controversy around this fight uh, arose around the submission. So Bobby Moffat locked up Chas Skelly in a Darce choke, and it looked like it was, you know, fully sunk in. Uh, in order to complete the Darce choke, you really need to wrap up your opponent's legs so they can stop scooting away from you. You want to keep your hips and your legs as far away from your opponent when you're locked up in the Darce choke to prevent the choke from being fully cinched in. And that's what um, that's what Chastley was doing. He was he was keeping his hips away, but man, this choke was in his neck. Looked like it was super torqued, and it looked like he was trying to go limp to make. Moffitt uh, let go of the submission. That's uh, that's apparently like what what he was uh, was thinking, and you know the ref you know said, "Are you okay?" He shook his arm. It looked like it did not look like Skelly was like holding his thumbs up. It did not look like he was very uh, you know had his wits about him. And then the the ref stopped the fight, and then Skelly was complaining that he. It was an early stoppage, and he never tapped. He did never tap, but he also was not intelligently defending himself. You know, if you're trying to fake getting out of the choke as your defense, you know, that's not defending yourself. So, nice win from Bobby Moffat there. You know, I knew he had great wrestling and great submissions in this one. I did not think that he would be able to get it on Chaskelly, though. So, pretty surprising performance in this one. Uh, very, very good performance from Moffat in his UFC debut. Next fight, we had another very close split decision fight. Uh, Ashley Yoder defeated Amanda Cooper. Uh, you know, I think this one was uh, the wrong decision. I think Cooper, you know, won this fight. Uh, I had a bet on Yoder by decision, so obviously wasn't too upset with the the outcome. Um, but uh, I got a feel for Amanda Cooper here. You know, I think it's her fourth straight loss in the UFC. And uh, no, not quite, but um, she's lost four of six fights in the UFC, so really can't catch a break there for her. Uh, this uh, Ashley Yoder gassed out really bad in this fight, was getting taken down, uh, and you know was kind of losing the stand-up exchanges in this fight, so good performance from Cooper. It's a damn shame she didn't get the win. Next fight, yet another split decision. Mike Trezano defeating Luis Pena by split decision. Um, Trezano looking really good out there, and Pena looking looking pretty bad. You know, something looked like it was off with Pena. There was some pretty, pretty steep line movement in this one the week of the fight. Um, 
Luis Pena was around a minus 300 favorite for a while, but then was slowly, slowly dropping throughout the week and ended up around minus 160. So, I don't know. Maybe some people saw the matchup and Trezano being a tough fight for him, or maybe there was some rumors going around about a possible injury. He certainly didn't look 100% there. Um, you know, Trezano is a legit opponent, though. He was ha- he was getting some nice leg kicks. He was able to level change successfully a few times in this fight. And I think that he uh, rightfully won this decision. I uh, was able to make a live bet on Trezano, and the fight goes to decision. So that was a, you know, I didn't have any pre-fight bets on this one, but uh, ended up uh, winning on the, the live betting aspect. So that was a great, uh, great line. Next fight, we had the 20-year-old uh, prospect, Macy Barber, defeat Hannah Cyphers by TKO. Just some brutal, brutal elbows and punches ground to pound. Had Cyphers busted up, was bleeding all over the place. Uh, I thought Macy Barber was going to dominate this fight, uh, and I thought that she had a good chance of finishing. So I hit her inside the distance line, and uh, that was a, you know, a successful play in this one. And, uh, you know, just Macy Barber just looks like a, a world beater, man. She's going to be she's gonna be a potential uh, champion, you know. I think her grappling is gonna is probably her weakest aspect. So if she just focuses on shoring up her defense and getting her grappling up to her striking, then I think she has a real chance at, um, you know, going really far in this division. Uh, next fight, we had Benio Darius defeat Thiago Moises by... Uh, decision a very dominant decision by Dariush you know in the podcast I said there's a difference between a jiu-jitsu black belt a world champion jiu-jitsu black belt and just any jiu-jitsu black belt and I, I knew that Moises was a world champion who went around beating other world champions and I thought that that would make a difference in this fight but it turns out there's a difference between a world champion jiu-jitsu black belt and a world er, and a MMA black belt which um Benil Dariush is. He's not a black belt in MMA as a whole. He's a black. He's a black belt in jujitsu who focuses on MMA. So you know, it seemed like Moises di- didn't. You know, you would not know that he was a world jujitsu champion from from seeing that fight. You know, Benil Dariush used excellent cage work. He was pushing him up up against the cage. He was you know taking him down, and um, just relentless pressure from Dariush. You know, Moises looked really underdeveloped in there. He looked pretty good on the regional circuit. I thought he was going to do a lot better, but he uh, Dariush was a, obviously a very tough test for him. Uh, lost a bet on Moises in this one, but you know, no no big deal. It was still a good night. And uh, next fight we had Jermaine Durand may defeat Raquel Pennington by decision. A very decisive decision where Durand uh, may was just outstriking Pennington at will, stuffing all of her takedowns, avoiding the clinch. And uh, when they did get in the clinch, Duraname was actually having a lot of success. You know, her Muay Thai experience landed some knees and elbows and uh, even trying some trips off of the, the clinch. So great performance from Duraname. I really think that she uh, could be a future title contender at 35. Next fight, we had Donald Cowboy Cerrone defeat Mike Perry by armbar in the first round. Just a great, great uh, moment, great fight. Um, Donald Cerrone uh, is coming in there off of uh, coming off of a bit of a struggle, right? I think he he lost to um, Edwards. He lost to Lawler. He was on, was he on a three fight losing streak? No, 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 he wasn't. He lost four or five fights though coming into this one, and uh, I, I I knew that uh, he had a. A big advantage on the ground in this one. I thought that he would be smart enough to wrestle and get this one on the ground. Mike Perry actually initiated the grappling exchange in this one mistakenly, and Cowboy easily reversed it and then cinched up an armbar. So 
great performance from Cowboy, man, just vintage Cowboy, that, that elite ground game. He's, you know, obviously we know he's one of the one of the most talented strikers in the UFC, but he also has that incredible ground game off his back to go off of if he does get taken down, and uh, that ended up getting the submission in here. So one on Donald Cerrone's money line and his submission prop, which got as high as plus 900. So huge win for us on Donald Cerrone, man. I fucking love Cerrone. He's one of my favorite fighters ever, and it was just awesome to see him get this big win here over Mike Perry as an underdog too and in the main event like I said one of the craziest moments I've ever seen watching fights Yair Rodriguez defeating Chan Sung Jung by elbow knockout 24 minutes and 59 seconds into a 25 minute fight that's right one second left in this fight not only was there one second left in this fight but Yair was losing on two or three judges scorecards he had already lost the fight it was already three rounds to one the round round five was not a decisive 10-8 round for Rodriguez. He would have lost if this fight went two more seconds. No doubt about it. There is, um, like I said, two judges already had three rounds to one for, uh, for Zombie. I think Zombie was already on his way to winning round five. And you know, one judge had it scored 2-2. Uh, but he pulls this backwards... You know, I don't even know how to describe it. Backwards, upwards, elbow, that you know, just out of his ass and lands it right on the button on Chan Sung Jung. Chan Sung Jung didn't see it coming one bit, hit him in like the neck under his jaw and just put the lights out, man. So, you know, a comeback knockout in the last second of a fight that you're losing. And, you know, the only way you can win his knockout is, you know, he pulled it off with one second left. Not to mention the incredible, incredible technique. Never seen someone land a, a strike like that ever, ever. Like, imagine how many fights that I have watched. And, I, you know, I've seen seen almost every technique out there, you know. Seen people throw two fists at once, two hammer fists at once from standing on the feet. But I've never seen someone you know, throw this type of elbow. If you haven't seen it yet, you need to, I mean, words don't do it justice. There's real no words to describe what the fuck he did. He was moving backwards and he just, I don't know, man, a back, a, a backwards, upwards elbow is the best way I can describe it, you know. So just absolutely incredible knockout from Yair Rodriguez on the brink of defeat. You know, it doesn't get any closer to defeat than he was right there. So, um just incredible and you know what a way to cap off the the ufc's 25th anniversary though you know otherwise otherwise you know this event might have not been as as memorable obviously we had that memorable uh donald cerrone performance he he got the record for the most finishes in ufc history and the most wins in ufc history so that was a great moment for cowboy seeing that he's from colorado and has family in colorado uh, had that great moment with uh, Macy Barber, you know, making her debut, a uh, decisive debut. Other than that, you know, it wasn't, it wouldn't have been that that uh, a great of a card. But man, this Yair knockout really, really made it uh, a special card. Uh, honestly, I think it's it's um, the, the best knockout in UFC history, all things considered. With the style, with the fact that he was losing, the fact that it was in the last second of the 25 minute fight. Um, all of those things added together, man, I think it, it has to be uh, at, at least top three, top five knockouts ever. So, uh, you know, props to Yair Rodriguez for pulling that uh, victory out. And, uh, you know, got a feel for Chan Sung Jung being one second away from victory and, you know, kind of letting it slip through his fingers there. So, 
uh, great card. And uh, with that being said, we're going to move on to the card going down in Buenos Aires, Argentina this Saturday night. UFC Fight Night 140 headlined by Neil Magny versus Santiago Ponzinibbio. Starting things off in the featherweight division on the UFC Fight Pass prelims, we have Nad Nindramani, who is, oh, excuse me, Nad Naramani, who is 11 and 2, taking on Anderson Dos Santos, who is 20 and 6. Looking over at Best Fight Odds, we see the Nad Naramani opened up at minus 300, Anderson Dos Santos at plus 220. Not much betting going on in this one. Seems like Nadermani has uh, sunk to minus 320, and Anderson Dos Santos up to two, plus 260. You know, I think this this opening line is is about right. I mean, I think it might be a little high right now for Anderson Dos Santos. He is a pretty well-rounded fighter. I think both of these gentlemen are. Both of them have you know some decent striking, uh, and I think they would uh, their ground both of their ground games are their best aspects, but. Naramani's ground game is much better. He's much more uh, heavy. He's a good top pressure, got good wrestler. Uh, even though uh, Dos Santos also specializes in ground game, I would say he's got a lot of submissions on his record. He's pulled out some great victories with on the ground. Was losing a fight to Ricky Simone, who was uh, undefeated at the time, and he ended up, you know, hitting a, a switch or a reversal on Simone. Uh, I think he actually rocked him with a punch, uh, and then. And then ended up taking his back and choking him out for that come from behind win. So that's probably his best victory. Anderson Dos Santos is, uh, you know, the rest of it. The rest of his wins, I don't believe, are are too are too uh, legitimate. I think that he has fought a, a a lot of low level competition in Brazil. Um, but uh, you know, I, that doesn't that doesn't take away from the fact that I think he is a is a, a you know a decent fighter. Uh, I think that he is ready for the UFC, but man, I think that they're giving him a tough test with this Naramani in the first fight. So I think Naramani will uh, control the grappling exchanges in this one, and it'll be a, a kind of a boring decision for uh, Naramani. So moving on to the lightweight division, we have Devin Powell, who is nine and three, taking on Jesus Pinedo, who is fifteen four and one. The opening betting line for this one, Jesus Pinedo opened up at minus 185, Devin Powell at plus 145. Looking over at five dimes right now, we have Jesus Pinedo at minus 200 and Devin Powell at plus 170. So again, not much line movement on this one. Uh, Pinedo sinking to a little bit more of a favorite, but still not much line movement. Uh, I, I agree with the opener in this one. I th honestly think that Pinedo might even be a little bit more of a favorite. Devin Powell gets gets hurt very easily in his fights. He you know doesn't have a, a, too strong of a chin, and he doesn't have too strong a, of a body. He gets you know he's very susceptible to body shots. We saw him come from behind in his last fight with a crazy uh, you know where he was rocked with a, uh, a I think a body kick himself, and then ended up finishing his opponent with a body kick. So he's definitely tough as nails, but I think that uh, he's a little bit too hittable, and his chin is not very good. Uh, I think Jesus Pinedo is, uh, you know, he looks he looks very good, man. He hasn't fought the highest level of competition. Most of his wins over are over, you know, l pretty low level guys with not much experience. But you know, he he's you know he's running through them pretty quickly. Uh, I, I I don't think that the, the uh, you know based on the gentleman's records, I'm saying that they're not too high level. 
but uh, I, I I can't imagine they're they're much worse than uh, uh, Devin Powell. I think that this is a pretty easy matchup in terms of uh, the roster. I think Powell is probably on the lower end of the talent level in the UFC. So I think it's a very winnable uh, fight for Jesus Pinedo in his debut. I don't know if I would lay the juice on his money line, but I certainly like his pro- his uh, knockout prop. Uh, I got it around plus 265, I think. Uh, I'm going to check and see what it is right now. Um, it is, uh, let's see, Pinedo by knockout plus 275. So even better of a price now. So uh, that would be my advised play on this one. I think that, um, you know, Pinedo has a good chance of catching the chin or the body of Powell and uh, putting him away. Next fight in the welterweight division we have Hector Aldana who is four and one taking on Loreno Staropoli who is seven and one the betting line for this one opened up Hector Aldana as a plus 240 underdog Loreno Strapoli is minus 320 favorite now some insane line movement on this one uh, Hector Aldana is now the favorite at minus 115. Strapoli is, uh, you know, also near Pickham's at minus 105. So, crazy, crazy line movement in this one, shifting uh, Aldana from plus 240 to minus 115. I've seen people have been talking about uh, Aldana all week on Twitter and on forums. It uh, it seems like uh, you know he's he's destined to lose at this point because so many people are advising to uh, to to get on him, and you know that's very evident because of of how his betting line has flipped completely. So I think that uh, I think that you know Aldana has struggled a bit in the UFC. He was uh, he was knocked out by Keenan Song in his last fight, a pretty close competitive fight up until then before he got his chin caught but uh you know keenan song is a, a very legit competitor of, him, of himself not really known for his knockout power though so aldana's chin could be a bit suspect he's also fighting a pretty you know inexperienced guy in uh Staropoli. uh hasn't made his ufc debut yet has fought mo- uh very low level competition in in uh, brazil i think he's from argentina yes he is so you know if this one goes to decision i think it'll follow or it'll favor steropoli you know how many brazil uh, argentinian fighters are there not many uh you know uh home court advantage is definitely a thing in the ufc people get decisions based on where they're from all the time so that's certainly uh, certainly a possibility but i really think aldana will uh, will get his first ufc victory in this one and uh, just by being the more technical striker and you know keeping this fight at range and but i do worry about the scorecards a little bit if it's a close fight we could get fucked uh with them giving them to it giving it to the argentinian but uh fingers crossed that aldana gets this one done maybe by knockout so you won't have to trust the cards next fight we have in the featherweight division austin arnett who is 15 and 5 taking on humberto badende who is 14 and 5 Humberto Badende opened up as a minus 260 favorite, and Austin Arnett opened up as a plus 180 underdog. Uh, Humberto Badende currently still stands at minus 260, while Arnett is up to plus 220 in this one. So some pretty uh, interesting line movement on this one with Badende's line staying the same, but Arnett somehow going up. Austin Arnett is, uh, is, you know, struggling in the UFC. He fought on Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series, lost to Brandon Davis, uh, you know, not the highest level fighter, and then uh, somehow got a shot in the UFC anyway. Uh, he, he must have been coming in on short notice for 
uh, for you know this fight where he fought Corey Sandhagen. Again, not the highest level opponent, and he lost that fight via knockout by a body kick. Uh, actually, no, take that back. I take that back. Corey Sandhagen is a very legitimate opponent. I'm, um, I was, I don't know who I was thinking of. Um, I think I was thinking of Luke Sanders uh, for a second, but Sandhagen's very, very good, tough as nails, and uh, you know that's that win doesn't really hold. Uh, uh, I don't hold too much against uh, Arnett in that one. Uh, Arnett though against Duwadu, man, he looked he looked lost out there. Uh, Hakim Duwadu was just able to keep him at range and outstrike him easily. Duwadu being a pretty experienced. Uh, Muay Thai striker of of his own right, and I think that uh, Bande will try to replicate that same game plan. He's a pretty he's a pretty flashy striker. It's kind of hard to see, kind of hard to, to know what uh, what Humberto Bande is all about. He's had two fights in the UFC, and they've lasted a total of one minute and five seconds. You know, one, winning one via head kick uh, knockout over Martin Bravo, and then getting slammed and knocked out versus Gabriel Benitez in a pretty uh, pretty interesting finish in that one. So, like I said, it's hard to get a real vibe of what he what what he's all about. Uh, in the UFC, at least, I just have not watched much of his regional footage in this one. But uh, you know, I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna be betting on this one. Honestly, I think uh, just just from a, a, a glance, I think uh, I would not pay juice on Baden Day at minus two sixty. I think that uh, you know Arnett has had some tough fights in the UFC, and I think that he's you know his uh, his skill is much better than his record indicates. So. I think that Arnett's going to be trying to trying to wrestle in this one, and uh, hopefully Bande's t- takedown defense is on point because uh, he's going to need it. So uh, moving on into the flyweight division, rest in peace. Uh, Alexandre Pantoja is taking on Ulta, Oka Sasaki. Pantoja is 19-3. Oka Sasaki is 21-5-2. and two. The betting line for this one opened up at Pantoja minus 305 and Sasaki plus 225. Right now, uh, Pantoja has been bet down a little bit more to minus 360, while Sasaki's up to plus 300. I think this is a very accurate line. I, I would agree with it more where it is now than the opener. Uh, I would I really trust Pantoja in this one. You know, Pantoja is is great. He's uh you know he's surprising me in every fight. He he looks really really good. He uh, arguably lost a, a very very close split decision against Dustin Ortiz in his uh in two fights ago. You know that was razor razor thin decision. Uh, other than that though, he's look he's looked really really good in the UFC. He beat Brandon Marino uh, handedly, looking powerful on the feet with a nice crisp jab good punches and also he's got a great ground game good control he's able to take the back on people uh, very well uh you know he struggled to finish with dustin ortiz but he was able to get a finish with uh neil siri he also has uh, rear naked choked brandon marino before on the uh the ultimate fighter so he most of his wins are by, are by submission, and I think that that's the this, this, the case for Oka Sasaki as well. He's a you know a master at getting the back and you know getting the submission. His last fight against Janelle Lauso was just uh, an incredible back take, and uh, you know he ended up getting that uh, that tap in there. But he's got a good amount of wins by uh, rear naked choke. He's also got a few losses by choke. So 
Um, it seems like he's, you know, a bit, you know, he lost by Juicier from Wiga by Choke, who's, you know, a really high level grappler. But I think that Pantosha is right up there too. So uh, I don't see Sasaki being much of a, a threat, especially a sub threat, considering that Pantosha is a, a, an incredible grappler in his own right. And I would have to imagine that Pantosha gets this one done fairly easily. Next fight in the welterweight division, we have Michel Pizaris, who is 25-2, taking on Bartos Fabinski, who is 14-2. The betting line for this one opened up at Bartos Fabinski as a plus 280 underdog. Wow. Michel Pizaris as a minus 400 favorite. The betting line has... Uh, been uh, tightening up with Fabinski now at plus 165, Pizaris minus 190, so pretty significant line movement in this one. I agree with it fully, man. That opening line was insane. Anybody who got on Fabinski at plus 280, congratulations to you because, man, that, that might be one of the, the best lines of the year, honestly. Uh, I think, you know, Fabinski is just a relentless wrestler. He's had three fights in the UFC so far, and I think he's racked up somewhere near 20 takedowns. Um, he beat Emil Meek in his last fight. He also has wins over uh, Hector Uriba. Urbina. Um, that was all the way back in 2015, though. He's a little bit struggled with uh, activity a little bit. Maybe he had like a uh, some sort of USADA violation. Maybe I mean that's a. Tw you know, his last fight, or he fought in November of 2015 and didn't fight all the way again till July of 2018. So, definitely something, uh, something to be uh, curious about there. But, I mean, he came back against Emil Meek and just looked great. He was able to, you know, just take that fight to the ground repetitively with his relentless wrestling. And that's going to be his game plan here against Pizaris. Pizaris is on a seven-fight win streak somehow, beating some pretty, pretty good opponents in, in his, uh, in that run, uh, you know, Gilbert Burns, Desmond Green, Zach Cummins, you know, uh, uh, Pizaris did make his uh, welterweight debut already against Cummins. I'm, I'm almost positive, but I'm, uh, you know, he's uh, he's fighting a much more polished fighter in my mind in this one, which would be Fabinski. Uh, Fabinski is also, you know, he's got, he's going to have six inches of reach, going to have, uh, you know, a good, uh, or six inches height advantage. And he's also going to have a five-inch reach advantage too. So, I imagine that this one, um, excuse me, he's going to have an eight-inch reach advantage and a five-inch height advantage. So, uh, I think that even if this one ends up on the feet, Fabinski could end up, uh, you know, jabbing and, and uh, kicking his way to distance. And then, but I, I don't think it'll spend much time on the feet. I think Fabinski will get the takedowns in this one, and uh, I think that he will grind out a decision against Pizarus. So, you know, his price at plus 165, man, I still think that's a great price. You know, his plus points, I think that would be, a, it might be, a you know, minus 200, I think, for his uh, plus three and a half points. But Fabadinski, I think, I, it's actually going to be my pick to get the one, uh, to get the win in this one. Next fight in towards the main card in the women's strawweight division, we have Poliana Botello, who is seven and one, taking on Cynthia Calvillo, who is six and one. The betting line for this one opened up at Cynthia Calvillo as the favorite at minus 165, Poliana Bothello at plus 125. The line has since flipped, almost uh, almost identically flipped. Poliana Bothello is now minus 155, and Cynthia Calvillo is plus 135. 
So pretty interesting line movement on this one. Seems like people are uh, really trusting uh, Bothello, and uh, you know I would have to agree with them. I think that uh, Poliana Bothello is uh, is very well rounded. Uh, you know we've seen her you know stuff takedowns from Pearl Gonzalez. We've seen her uh, you know she's got a. a I would say her ground game is a little bit unknown you know, besides her takedown defense. But, you know, as long as you have good takedown defense, you don't really need a great ground game because you're not going to end up on the ground. And that seems to be the case with her so far. She's also got some really powerful striking, man. She, Her last fight, she had a fucking vicious body kick that knocked out Shuri Kondo. Uh, and uh, she, she has a few of those wins on the record. You know, a lot of first-round knockouts. Uh, she just hits hard, you know. She has uh she went to the and she went to the the cards with Pro Gonzalez and won that fight pretty decisively too. So Cynthia Calvillo uh, came into the UFC and was you know riding high for a little bit, winning some uh, a lot of fights by submission, beating uh, Amanda Cooper and Pro Gonzalez by decision. But she ran into a you know a great wrestler of her own, uh, Carla Spars, and in her last fight ended up losing that fight. I think she was actually. Uh, serving a suspension for weed so uh you know thank god that they got that monster off the roster it's a damn shame they're giving her a second chance um so uh you know she has great she has a lot of wins a lot of wins jillian robertson uh montana de la rosa aspen lad you know these are all girls right now who are who are having success in the ufc and she's beating all of them so Cavio is is good man it's uh it's you know where the price is at right now i would honestly probably side with the dog i don't know if i would trust bothello all the way down at minus 155 but if you were able to get on bothello as a dog i think that would be a good pick so I think this one's going to be a good fight. I'm, I don't have any action on this one. I think it, it'll probably stay that way. And, uh, you know, I'm just hoping for a good a good scrap. Uh, these, these two women can fight their asses off. So I think this one will be a great fight. Uh, next fight in the bantamweight division, we have Marlon Vera, who is 13-5-1, taking on Guido Canetti, who is 8-3. Betting lines opened up in this one. Marlon Vera as the minus two sixty favorite to Guido Canetti at minus or excuse me at plus one eighty. Marlon Vera has since been bet down to minus three ten, while Guido Canetti is up to plus two fifty five. Um, I, I think this this line's a bit wide, honestly. I think that uh, Guido Canetti, they're you know they're disrespecting him a little bit with the line. I think you know uh, Marlon Vera is like I don't know 25, 26 or something like that, and Canetti is you know thirty eight or thirty nine. So I think you know maybe that could be uh, yeah. So Vera is twenty five, and I believe Canetti is thirty eight. Uh, yep, thirty eight. So you know thirteen year age difference. That's that's pretty big. Um, you know I think Vera is the quicker guy. I think he's the better striker. But uh, you know Guido can make fights ugly, man. He can he can take you down. He has pretty good uh, top control. You know he he didn't have much success leading up to uh, his last uh, fight, but he ended up coming back and beating Diego Rivas. Uh, you know pretty decisively in that one. That was a you know a good win for him. So uh, I think that this uh, Vera should be the favorite. I would maybe cap him around minus 150 or minus 200. But the value right now, I would definitely have to side with uh, the dog and Guido Canetti. I think, uh, I don't know if I would go on his money line because I think that Vera uh, will will win this fight. But I think that uh, it'll be a 29-28 decision. So if you can get in on uh, the plus points, the line is not out yet. Uh, they, they usually release the points handicap around Thursday or Friday. Recording this on Wednesday night. 
Wednesday afternoon, actually. And um, so I think that uh, in the next coming days, the, the plus handicap uh, points will be on there. And I think that if you can get on Guido Canetti at plus money at, uh, you know, plus three and a half, that would be great. So uh, the pick's going to be Vera, but uh, I think that they're, uh, this line's a bit wide. Moving on to the next fight, we have Cesar, Cesar Mutante Ferreira, who is 13 and 6, who is taking on Ian Heinish, who is 11 and 1. Cesar Ferreira opened up as the plus 140 favorite, or excuse me, plus 140 underdog, and Ian Heinish opened up at minus 180. Now, I've heard some speculation along that this line was not actually open like this. It could have been a line air, but right now, Best Fight Odds says that that is the, the correct opener. I have not seen anybody with like a bet slip or a ticket that says they got Ferreira at uh, plus 140. He is now down to minus 185. Ian Heinish up to plus 160. So the line did completely flip if it did, in, ca- in fact, open up at uh, what I said. But, uh, you know, Ian Heinish is making his UFC debut in this one. He's, uh, you know, pre- he's a pretty well-rounded fighter. You know, he's got uh, a good ground game, good takedowns, uh, and he's also, you know, a pretty decent striker. And uh, I think that uh, the one problem I have with Ian Heinish is he throws a lot of, like, flashy techniques. Uh, I don't know why. He'll throw a, a jumping Superman punch or a Superman jab or a spinning back kick or some, something silly. And it ends up getting him put in bad spots. So I think if he does that against Cesar uh, Ferreira, I think that Ferreira will take him down and uh, he'll tap him out. Uh, Heinish is... Uh, Jiu-Jitsu game is definitely his most uh, unknown aspect, I would say. Most of his fights are contested on the feet. And he does, you know, maybe rest a little bit to get the fight to the ground and look for a ground-and-pound finish. But uh, he has lost to Marcus Perez via arm triangle. Uh, That was his uh, one and only loss was by submission. So, you know, uh, you got to think that uh, Ferreira is going to be looking to grapple in this one. Ferreira is, you know... uh, excellent excellent uh, jiu-jitsu player himself winning his last fight against carl uh, robertson you know robertson as we just saw him fight pretty recently is a pretty dangerous striker and uh Ferreira was able to level change and uh, tap him out in that one he's he's done that with a lot of fighters um and uh i think Ferreira is the you know uh, the much more proven guy he's he's uh you know obviously has a lot of experience in the ufc he's got eight wins in the ufc actually excuse me he's got nine wins in the ufc only four losses beating pretty pretty good competition sergio marais thiago santos uh jack Hermosin, anthony smith nate marquardt you know so Ferreira is much more proven and uh, I think that uh, he's going to be the pick to get this one done. And uh, I, I kind of like, uh, if I have to, you know, stab at this fight, Ferreira's submission line, even though it's not that great of a price, I think that uh, I think that that's how this fight ends up ending. So moving on to the light heavyweight division, we have Khalil Roundtree, who is 7-2, taking on Johnny Walker, who is 14-3. Johnny Walker is making his UFC debut in this one, coming off of the Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. Uh, Khalil Roundtree opened up as a minus 285 favorite to Johnny Walker at plus 205. Now, Khalil Roundtree is minus 220, while Johnny Walker is plus 180. So a little bit of money coming in on Walker in this one. I think that that's, that's the right choice. I think that you know Khalil Roundtree is a very powerful, explosive puncher. We saw him knock out... Gokan Sasaki in the last in his last fight, very shocking performance. Uh, very very few people expected that. 
Um, but uh, you know he's got a pretty well, uh, pretty well rounded game. You know, obviously he doesn't really take the fight to the ground very much, but he is, uh, you know, very experienced in MMA. Uh, you know, uh, but he did one problem about Killer Roundtree is he gasses out. He after the first round he is, you know, a significantly different fighter. Uh, he uh, has losses to uh, Tyson Pedro via submission, Andrew Sanchez via uh, decision. Uh, but he also has got a, a few few nice wins, but they're uh, mostly first-round knockouts. He only has two decision wins, and he hasn't won a decision since 2015 back in RFA. So uh, I think that the later this fight goes, it'll favor... Uh, Johnny Walker more. Uh, I would, you know, I would guess I would favor Roundtree in the in, in round one. But uh, you know, Walker seems to seems to be a decent striker of his own. I think that he might be able to avoid that knockout and take this into the later rounds, where he might be able to uh, finish uh, Roundtree in rounds two or three. So, if you have to play this fight, uh, I would not. I would not go uh, on either guy's money line. Honestly, if I had to go one, I would obviously be Dogger Pass. Uh, but it, it's, I would stick with props, maybe round three, round one, or Walker round two or three. Moving on to the co-main event of the evening in the featherweight division, we have Ricardo Lamas, who is eighteen and seven, taking on Darren Elkins, who is twenty-four and six. The betting line opened up for this one: Darren Elkins as the plus one fifty-five favorite, and Ricardo Lamas at minus one ninety-five. Ricardo Lamas is currently minus two hundred, while Elkins is up to plus 170. Uh, I would agree with this opener. It seems pretty accurate. Honestly, I might even cap Lamas a little bit more around minus 300. So, uh, you know, even though minus 200, bit of a steep underdog, or bit of a steep favorite, excuse me. Uh, I really trust uh, Ricardo Lamas in this one. Obviously, you have to be aware that Darren Elkins is a, a fucking madman and, you know, pulls some crazy wins out of his ass all the time. And you always got to be aware of that. But Ricardo Lamas is a a pretty safe fighter. He uh, only had the only time he's really been reckless is when he got knocked out by Josh Emmett. Uh, I think he lost to Benito Lopez. No, no, Mursad Bektik. Uh, yeah, he uh, lost to Mursad Bektik in his last fight. Split decision, very close fight. Bektik is a you know very high level guy. He's very well rounded. Uh, but I think that uh, Ricardo Lamas is just a little bit uh, uh, better in all aspects than than uh, Darren Elkins. Darren Elkins' wrestling is, you know, it's good, but I think that, you know, Lamas is, is, uh, might be even better. He's, uh, you know, got a really, really good ground game. Also got some really powerful uh, striking, and uh, I think that uh, Ricardo Lamas should win a decision in this one pretty easily. Uh, Darren Elkins, you know, it's never going to be easy with uh, with Elkins, but uh, you know, I think that he will beat up Elkins uh, a decent amount. Elkins got you know absolutely mauled in his last fight against Volkanovski, but he still lasted to a decision. So uh, you know, it, it's very very hard to finish uh, Darren Elkins. I don't know. He, the last time he was knocked out was 2013 by Chad Mendez. So. I think that uh, Ricardo Lamas will uh, get this one done via decision. And in the main event, in the welterweight division, we have Santiago Ponzinibbio, who is 26-3, taking on Neil Magny, who is 21-6. Now the betting line opened up Santiago Ponzinibbio at plus 160, Neil Magny at minus 210. Again, 
I do not think that this was the actual opener. I think that they opened this originally on five dimes, and then they voided everyone's bets and saying that we, we messed up and they, they adjusted it. So, you know, take this with a, gra uh, a, a bit of uh, a grain of salt, as they say, I think. Um, uh, so Santiago Ponzinibbio is, you know, just a, a, a great striker. He's got really, really uh, great IQ. He can adapt well in fights. He's, uh, you know, he's on a six-fight win streak right now, beating really good competition. Court McGee by knockout, Nordine Taleb, Zach Cummins, uh, Gunnar Nelson by knockout, Mike Perry by decision. Uh, he's beaten Sean Strickland, Wendell Oliveira. You know, the, the list goes on. He's he's very, very proven guy. He's uh, from Argentina, if I'm correct. Uh, I think so, right? Yeah, Argentinian. Um, and, uh, you know, he's just a very well-rounded fighter. I think his, you know, ground game would probably be his, his least uh, polished aspect. And, uh, you know, Neil Magny might look to take this fight there. He has done that before. He has taken people down and, try, and won fights there. Um, I believe he did that uh, against uh, Hector Lombard, uh, Kelvin Gastelum. That fight was a five-round fight. And uh, he might even take, have taken down Carlos Condit, too. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, a, he's a good striker as well. So uh, I think that uh, this one is, is going to be a, a competitive for a little bit, but I think that Santiago will take off and start landing the harder shots and it will accumulate. I don't see it going to decision. I think Ponzinibbio might finish in rounds maybe three, four, but I wouldn't be too shocked if it went to a decision. I think that uh, Magni might be tough enough and have enough cardio to last the full five rounds, but I see it being maybe a 49-46 for Ponzinibbio. Uh, if if Magni is able to get this fight to the ground, though, it'll be interesting. Uh, he doesn't isn't really particularly known as like a submission threat. Uh, actually, I don't really see any submissions on his record. But uh, oh yeah, one back in 2011. So it's going to be difficult to win the fight there. He's going to have to win rounds on the on the floor. He's going to have to land some pretty hard ground and pound that takes the gas tank out of. Uh, out of Santiago Ponzinibbio, and honestly, I just don't see that happening. I don't think that he really has the wrestling to do it. I think Ponzinibbio has the striking to keep him at bay, and I think that he will uh, win this fight at distance. So the pick is going to be Ponzinibbio to get this one done. Not too much in the way of news in this week in the uh, MMA world. Only a few stories worth noting. Uh, confirming my suspicions of last week, uh, the rumblings, uh, the reports, rumors, whatnot, that the UFC flyweight division would be closing are unfortunately true. That is definitely happening. The UFC has been releasing flyweights left and right. You know, guys who have a ton of skill who are, you know, 1-1 one one in the UFC, 2-1, two 2-2, and 3-2, two and two, and two, like... Even though they have heavyweights who have four or five straight losses, who are guys who are two and six in their past eight or something like that, those guys are on the roster here to stay. But the flyweights who have you know incredible skill, who are two and one, no, those guys are getting cut. They're not being offered the chance to move up to one thirty-five. They're just being fucking cut. So that makes no sense whatsoever. It's a damn damn shame that's happening to people. You know, Jared Brooks, Jose Torres, or a few of the guys who I know for sure. I'm sure there's other names on that list though just a 100% wrong move to make by the UFC and I hope that those other gentlemen make their way over to 1FC to be a part of their flyweight uh, Grand Prix going on also in the way of rumors we have after Cowboy's most recent win he's been you know talking a little bit of, a little bit of McGregor saying that he 
he wants to fight Connor. So he wants to drop back down to 155. You know, obviously everybody wants to fight Connor. Everybody, you know, uh, would sign that fight. It's basically Connor's decision who he wants to fight. But man, Cerrone would be a great fucking fight. It would be a great fight for Connor to get his feet, uh, you know, wet uh, again. You know, not the hardest of opponent. And it would be, you know, just, I think, a perfect, a perfect, uh, I don't know, uh, B-side to Connor, you know, someone who can talk a little bit of shit, has a great personality, you know, has, you know, is very, very deserving of the spot, obviously, the most, the winningest fighter in UFC history, the most finishes, one of the craziest, baddest motherfuckers on the planet, uh, that Don Cerrone is, so I, I really hope that that fight materializes, honestly, I'm, sign me up, I'm on board already, so... Uh, we had Paulo Costa get injured uh, with his fight with Yoel Romero. Uh, Yoel Romero now saying he wants to fight Anderson Silva. That's a terrible, terrible idea. Um, Misha Tate was signed as one of the executives over at 1FC. I don't know if she... I'm pretty sure she's an executive. I don't think she's fighting over there. I'm pretty sure she's done with fighting. But yeah, vice president. Vice president of 1FC. Wow. So she's, she's really, really going to be involved in there. And uh, good for her, man. I imagine she has to move her entire life down to Singapore, though. But still, good for her. And the last bit of news is a quote-unquote super fight between TJ Dillashaw and Henry Cejudo, the Bantamweight champion versus the Flyweight champion. Uh, is happening at UFC 233. It's been officially announced. The fight will be contested for the flyweight title for some unforsaken reason, even though that the UFC is closing the flyweight division. The reason they're doing it is because TJ Dillashaw has, you know, had his belt for longer. He's defended it longer. Um, and Sudo just got his. So they're giving T- Dillashaw the chance to earn the double champ tag while... Uh, you know, it would be kind of unfair for Cejudo just to come up to 135 to get the next title shot. While there's no real clear contender at flyweight, obviously, because since Demetrius uh, Johnson is gone, there's no real contender at flyweight, so they might as well just do this fight. It's a, you know, there's no reason for it. I think TJ Dillashaw should fight, uh, you know, Marlon Marais or Dominic Cruz or Jimmy Rivera or something like that, but unfortunately all those guys are getting stiff armed and they're getting you know kind of fucked by this deal and uh you know in terms of the fight man i'm not really looking forward to it it doesn't seem that appealing to me uh you know i don't i don't i find henry cejudo immensely immensely boring Uh, i don't think he's very good of a fighter at all so i hope tj dillashaw you know punts his head uh, across the arena but you know cejudo's wrestling is undeniable you can't deny uh you can't deny that (laughs) so uh you know, it'll make it'll certainly make this fight interesting. But uh, that's going to be all for the uh, the news stories in this week, which would also conclude this week's episode of Martian MMA. It has been the fortieth episode. Uh, thank you all for tuning in, and uh, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, aliens, Martians, any conscious being tuning into the podcast. Thank you for listening to episode forty of Martian Mixed Martial Arts, and I will see you guys next week before UFC China. Peace.